The, the title of the sermon this morning is True Worship. And we're going to talk about what is true worship. Last week we talked about the why of worship. Why we worship. Why do we worship God? And we saw that um, there is an abundant amount of time. Uh, there are so many reasons we can worship God. And we looked at the story of the Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea and how we saw how God has saved us and delivered us from our enemies. So we should worship God and we should praise Him with everything we have. He is so deserving of it. But sometimes I think we can get confused as to what is worship and How do we worship? So this morning, we're going to explore that question. What is true worship? Is it it what takes place during the church service? Is it some form of raising our hands or kneeling? Is it more than that? Does it take place outside of the four walls here in this building? Well, this morning, I want us to understand three things about true worship. Number one, the definition of true worship. And then number two, the source of true worship, and then number three, the form of true worship. And we're going to start with the definition. Number one, the definition of true worship is this. True worship is the sacrifice of self for the sake of God. Thank you, Danielle, for reading our scripture. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul is speaking to his Christian brothers and sisters in Rome, and he tells them to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. This is their worship to present their bodies as a sacrifice so paul says that for us to worship it is to sacrifice our body that's worship to to give ourselves up to deny ourselves to give of our body is to worship so already in our mind it's clear that worship is far broader than what happens inside the church but we need to see that worship primarily is sacrificial Worship in God is to give of yourself. To worship God is to deny yourself for his sake. To give of yourself for his sake and his kingdom. And denying yourself can seem kind of like a foreign concept, I think, to us because we live in a culture of gratification. Our culture says whatever makes you happy, go get it. Whatever you want to say, do, feel, think, whatever makes you happy, go fulfill your desire. Leave no desire unfulfilled. And then on top of that, we have advertisers bombarding our brains with tons of stuff we need to buy, we, they, telling us we need this and that. Um, I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago about buying kayaks. And because Facebook is always listening, apparently, uh, the next day my Facebook feed was plastered with kayak ads saying, hey, Sam, look at this great deal for you to look at. Um, in our culture, satisfying our desires is the norm. It's what we're told to do. Don't deny yourself. Don't give of yourself. Fulfill everything desire you have. So denying ourselves can almost feel foreign or even wrong, I think. But to worship, Paul says, is to deny ourselves. It is to sacrifice your body, your will, for the sake of God and his kingdom and his will. Jesus taught in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, If anyone would come after me. If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. True worshipers follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And we have to think about Jesus. What did Jesus do? He denied himself for the sake of his Father God. He was literally a living sacrifice. He sacrificed his body for the sake of God so that God's kingdom would come and so that we could be forgiven our sin. 
And we are to walk in His footsteps, sacrificing ourselves in the same way. This is the right way to worship. True worship is the sacrifice of self for the sake of God. And I like how the NIV translates Romans 12.1. It says, the last little part, the NIV translates spiritual worship as true and, po- true and proper worship. So in other words, the worship that is pleasing to God, the worship that is holy and acceptable, that is right and true, is worship in which we sacrifice ourself. D.A. Carson, he's a professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He writes, Worship is nothing but the outworking of God-centeredness in the individual and corporate experience of the people of God. Worship is being centered on God. Not just here at church, but in every area of your life. Worship is being centered on God at your job, in your home with your family, with your friends, It is being centered on God and not your will and not yourself when it comes to your possessions, when it comes to your money, when it comes to your time. Worship is by no means just raising hands or singing songs. Those are important important parts of worship. But worship is a lifestyle of self-sacrifice. Sacrificing your will for God's worship is sacrificing time watching the big game or the bachelorette to disciple your kids. Worship is sacrificing that money you were going to spend on a second vacation and giving it to those in need. Worship is sacrificing your comfort by not just hanging out with your Christian friend, non-Christian friends, but actually trying to witness to them and let, help them know Jesus. Miroslav Volf, he's a professor of theology at Yale University. He writes, There is no space in which worship should not take place. No time when it should not occur and no activity through which it should not happen. All dimensions of human life are the temples in which Christians should honor their God. Worship doesn't just take place in the temple, in the church, in this building. It takes place in every area of your life. I've mentioned some ways you can worship in your individual life already. Kind of got you thinking there. But what does worship look like in our week-to-week Gathering. How do we sacrifice ourselves when we come into this room? What does that look like? What does it mean to put ourselves aside when we gather together as a church body? Well, here's the answer. We come on Sunday morning ready to give a sacrifice of praise to God. We come being God-centered. We come setting ourselves aside. We don't come expecting all our preferences to be met. We don't come pointing out things we dislike. We come ready to give a sacrifice of praise to God. We come ready to welcome those we don't know with the love of Jesus. We come ready to encourage and love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We come ready to praise God with our voices for what he has done for us. We come ready to hear the word of God. We we are God-centered when we come into this room. When I was studying at Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, one of the things I really enjoyed was chapel. And chapel was always interesting because Beeson, being an interdenominational seminary, uh, the chapel service was always different. Uh, so every week, the style of it changed, So d- depending on the denomination of the speaker. So one week, it would be an Episcopal-style chapel service, and then it would be Baptist, and then it would go to Lutheran, and then to non-denominational, and then Methodist. And so every week, it was different. And at first, I found it really challenging because having grown up in one style of church for most of my life, I, I found it, um, I, did, I, did, I didn't like sometimes some of the music that was being played, or I didn't like 
reading scripture for 10 minutes straight. Some services do that. And it was almost hard for me to worship. And all that was, though, that was my preferences. That was my preferences. And I learned, though, through that experience that I can worship as long as Jesus is being proclaimed. If Jesus, if the focus is on Jesus, if God is the central thing, then I can worship. Now, it's okay for us to have preferences. It's okay for us to like certain songs and not like others. And it's okay for us to maybe prefer Brent to me. I know I've been up here two weeks now, so you're probably getting tired of me. It's okay to have preferences. But our preferences should never keep us from worshiping God. In fact, if they are, that's, I would say there's a heart issue there if you can't worship because of a preference. Our attitude when we gather together needs to be one of putting ourselves aside, of sacrificing our will, and focusing on God. True worship is the sacrifice of self for the sake of God. But what brings about this sacrifice? Why should we put ourselves aside in our life and at church together? Well, to do that, we need to look at the source. Here's number two, the source of true worship. True worship flows out of God's gospel. Notice in Romans 12.1, Paul says, therefore. In the EIV, he begins the verse off with therefore. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So, in other words, the command to worship that he gives is based upon what has been said. So we have to ask, what comes before Romans 12.1? I had a professor in seminary who always said, when you encounter therefore in Scripture, you have to ask what it's there for. Handy way to remember it. But what comes before Romans 12.1? What is the basis of this command to sacrifice ourselves? Well, we were blessed with some really great sermons by Brent and John on Romans 8 two or three weeks ago. And uh, they, they showed us that not just Romans 8, but the message of Romans is the gospel. The message of the gospel is that we are sinners. We are dead in our sin. Slaves to it. Broken. And what God does is though we are sinners and though we have rebelled against him, he comes and he gives us grace and mercy and he justifies us. He gives us his righteousness. He makes us his children. And we are changed forever. And so Paul is saying, therefore, since you are a child of God, worship him. Since God has saved you, therefore, worship him. Therefore, because God has justified you, therefore, worship him. Therefore is a very powerful word in Scripture. Never, If you're reading your Bible, never just pass by it. And Paul is saying, therefore, because all that God has done for you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The gospel is the basis of Paul's command to sacrifice ourselves. True worship flows out of God's gospel. And worship is our response to God. God has come to us. He has shown mercy and grace to us. And worship is our response to him. And, that, and we respond in two avenues. We respond individually in our own lives. And we respond corporately as the church. Notice Romans 12.1. Paul uses both plural and singular in his, his command. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, plural. So he's saying, you individuals, your individual body, you sacrifice. But then he says, I, he says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, singular. Paul doesn't write, present your bodies as living sacrifices, or present your body as a living sacrifice. No, he emphasizes that we are in individuals and we are also a body. 
We are the church together. And we are to worship both corporately and individually. I was talking to Hayden, our worship pastor, about this. He said he calls this gathered and scattered. I like that. They rhyme. We're, we are called to worship together, gathered. We are called to worship scattered as individuals and also as a group. In 1 Corinthians, Paul compares the church to a body. He writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. In other words, in Christ, you are a part of his body, the church. Because you are adopted into his family, you are saved, you are automatically part of the church. And you are an individual, and you are called to worship in your individual context, in your workplace, in your family, but you are also called to worship within the context of the church. We are to gather and praise God together. We are to gather and use our gifts to serve one another and build the church up. That is worship. Church, we must not believe the lie that we so often believe. It says that our gathering together is of low priority, that our weekly service is unnecessary, that it is not needed. God's word says otherwise. Worship that is pleasing to God is lived out together. And remember, true worship is the sacrifice of self for the sake of God. And part of that sacrifice is prioritizing being with other Christians on a regular basis. And this is not legalism. This is the response to what God has done for us. He has adopted us into his body. So how can we not be a part of it? He has saved us and brought us into his family. So how can we not join with our family? That would make no sense. And church, I want, I want everyone in here to know you have a part to play in this body, in this church. You are needed. When I was in college, my first two years of college, I went to a church every Sunday, but I didn't plug in any deeper. And I wish I had because my junior year, I finally plugged in. I went to a small group. And what I discovered in that small group is that not only did I need the community, but they needed me. First, I needed them. I needed the wisdom of Christians older than me. I needed the encouragement of my sisters in Christ. I needed the fellowship of my brothers in Christ. And I needed to hear their testimony. I needed to hear and see them living in faith to build me up to do the same. But the thing I also learned is they needed my testimony to build them up. Together, church, we are stronger. You have something to give to somebody in this room every week. Somebody needs you to listen to them, to pray for them. Someone needs you to hear their sin and encourage them. Someone needs you to reach out and help them. Someone needs to see you praising God because in their life, things are hard and they're struggling to praise God. They need to see you praising God so that they can be encouraged that God is good even when they're struggling. True worship flows out of God's gospel. So that's kind of the what of worship. Now let's talk about the how. Number three, the form of true worship. True worship is both praise and practice. If we jump to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, we see this. The author of Hebrews in this verse gives us two ways to worship. He says in verse 15, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Notice the same language as Paul, sacrificial language. A sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So he gives two ways to worship, praise 
in practice. First, let's talk about praise. The author writes, Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledges His name. True true worship includes our praise, church. It includes singing and praying and offering our voices to God. You all ever thought about the fact that your, your voice is a blessing to God? God delights in your voice. The author of Hebrews compares it to fruit, the fruit of lips. Imagine your favorite fruit. Think of your favorite fruit. Mine is peaches. Imagine your favorite fruit. It's a good time of year for, pe- for, for, for peaches and for fruit in general. But uh, imagine it. Imagine its taste. Imagine its texture. Imagine how good it tastes, especially on a hot summer day. K-City watermelon, amen? Amen, yes. Imagine how sweet and refreshing it is. That's how God feels when we sing to him. God is delighted in our voices. He takes delight in it. You bless him with your voice when you sing and pray to him. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter how good your voice sounds. I will never sing in a praise band. You do not want me to, believe me. It would be bad. But no matter how good or how bad you sing, God wants to hear your voice. We are to offer praise to Him. So practically, here's what this means. It means that in worship, when we gather to worship together, we should never desire or prioritize Scripture or like, like preaching over singing or singing over preaching. They're, but they're the same. We need to sing and we need to hear God's Word together. Colossians 3.16 says this. It says, Let the Word of Christ... Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. If you didn't catch it, according to Paul, he says God's word dwells in us through preaching and singing. That's how we grow in God's word. And this is why we have in our service, we have a time where one of me or Brand or someone gets up and preaches, but we also have times of singing where we can praise God and respond to him because that's how God's word dwells in us as well. Richard Foster, he's the author of the Christian classic um, Celebration of Discipline, great book. He wrote, God calls for worship that involves our whole being. The body, mind, spirit, and emotion should all be laid on the altar of worship. God calls, every, God, God calls every one of us to engage every part of us in worship. Not just our mind, but our body, our emotions, Everything. And I think, you know, preaching is great. I love hearing a good sermon because I love thinking about God's Word and working it through and applying it to my life. I love the, the, the thinking aspect of it. But God also wants our bodies to be engaged in worship. He wants our emotions. And that's what matters, is that our, every part of us is engaged in worship. And I feel like we, we don't always fully engage. Maybe we hold back with our body, bodily worship for a couple reasons. Number one, I think sometimes we feel like there's a certain posture we're supposed to hold with our bodies. Like, like there's a certain church posture. You know, you come in and the worship starts, the music starts and you... <laughs> I can't go any longer sitting there. But, but you see what I mean? Like that's, uh, sometimes we come into church and we feel like there's this posture we have to assume. Um, it's kind of like listening to music in a car. If you've ever done, I think all of us have had this experience. I like to jam out to my music in a car. And I like to pr- pretend like I know how to play the drums. You know, I'll be doing this number and stuff. But what inevitably happens every time 
is what happens. You pull up to a red light, someone pulls up next to you, and you're like, <gasps> and you, you know, hands it 10 and 2. You know, so, you know, you're, I'm a normal person. I'm not jamming out weirdly in my car to music. Am I the only one who's had that experience? Raise your hand if you've had that experience. Okay, thank you. Yes, everyone's had that experience. But we feel this pressure to be normal all of a sudden, to stop expressing ourselves. And I think we can bring that same attitude into the church service where the music starts and we, normal. Except I'm, I, you probably don't cross your legs like me. This is normal for me. But hear me, church. I want you to hear this morning. I want to, if you're, li- if you're living under this impression, I want to bring some freedom to you and say there is not a prescribed posture for you to stand or sit in. Yes, we sit at times and stand at times and bow our heads at times, but there is not a prescribed posture. You are free to assume a posture that allows you to worship. So that means if, if you want to raise your hands and praise God, do so. If you want to kneel, do so. If you want to sit and just open your hands to God, do so. If you just want to close your eyes and sing and smile and praise God, do so. One challenge I'll give you, we're not to the application part of this yet, but I do want to challenge you with this. As you are singing and as you're worshiping, consider your posture. You know, our heart, you know, we come to worship, our heart is focused on God. Is your body reflecting what your heart is thinking? And I'll say this, you know, for, for some of you, this might be worshiping, a worship posture for you. you know, like I said, there's no set standard. You know, you don't have to have your hands up. I mean, I typically don't. Brent doesn't either. We're, we're, we're kind of restrained in that. But for some people, having their hands up is worshiping. So consider your posture. Is, is your body reflecting your reverence before God and your praise of God? That's the first reason I don't think we always engage fully in worship. The second reason is this. I think we don't, we, 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 whether as an excuse or something we actually believe, we say, singing just isn't my thing. I actually heard this one this, this week. Singing just isn't my thing. And I think that's because singing is like almost like asking someone out on a date. Um, it's kind of like, you know, you're putting yourself out there, you're showing some emotion, you're, you're showing what, what you're, what's going on inside your head. And so it can kind of be scary a little bit. You're putting yourself out there. When you, when you jump out and sing. Um, if that's you, let me encourage you with something. Singing is your thing. God gave you a voice with a purpose so that you could praise him in your life. God gave you a voice to sing. We have a whole book in our Bible called Psalms. It is literally songs and prayers to God that were sung and said to God by people. One of the final images we have in the Bible in John's Revelation is an image when Jesus has come All creation is restored. All the nations of the world are around God's throne and they are singing to God. They are praising him. Your voice is meant to praise God, no matter how good or how bad you think it sounds. To him, it sounds perfect. You bless him when you sing to him. God doesn't need our blessings, but he delights in them. So remember, though, true worship is both praise. We've talked about praise, but true worship is also practice. We have to practice our worship. We can't just join and praise God. If we go back to Hebrews 13 and verse 16, the author writes, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. So what we see is there's this, there's this very practical aspect to worship where, yes, we gather and we sing and we give it all to God, but then we also we leave this place and we go with an attitude of service. We be God-centered everywhere we are, and we give of ourselves. 
And there's such a temptation, I think, there can be a temptation to separate what we do here from what we do the rest of the week. But the two are connected. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, Only those who are actively concerned with the victims of oppression, who are doing the significant something, can genuinely worship God. Without action in the world, the adoration of God is empty and hypocritical and degenerates into irresponsible and godless quietism. James chapter 2, verse 17 says it this way. It says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Our adoration of God is meaningless if there is not action in our life. The two go hand in hand. Works do not save us, but works come from faith. The Bible's clear about that. Faith works, as Martin Luther would say. So worship is not just praising God in church. It's not just responding to Him here. It's responding to Him in your life. It is praising God by serving others, those in need. It is being involved in the world's affairs. It is caring for the orphan and the widow. It is feeding the hungry. It is fighting against injustice. It is helping your neighbor when they're in need. That is all worship, the practice of worship. Closing out here, I want to give you all a few things you can do this week to worship God both here together and also in your, in your individual walk with Christ outside of this place. Number one, I challenge you this week to set some time aside and do it for a heart check. Set some time aside this week and ask yourself some questions. Ask yourself this question. I believe it's in your bulletin on the back. What or who am I worshiping? I regularly ask myself this question. It's almost a daily question because our worship can move from God to other things. We can become focused on other things. For example, we talked last week about how Israel, God did this mighty act. He saved them at the Red Sea and they began worshiping him. And it's this beautiful scene. But if you go a few chapters later in Exodus, what are they worshiping? They're worshiping a golden calf they made. And God's like, what are you doing? So we are sinners and we need to keep ourselves focused on worshiping God. So ask yourself, who or what am I worshiping? Am I worshiping myself? What am I giving myself to? Is it God or is it something else? What am I most excited about in life? Is it the expansion of God's kingdom or is it something else? And if the answer to these questions is not God, then you need to do a heart check because you might be worshiping an idol and not God in your life. You might be worshiping your own will instead of God's will. And church, we have to be careful about that because to worship something else after we have been saved by Christ, after his blood has saved us from our sin, to worship something else, it's like walking by the cross of Jesus with Jesus hanging on it and looking the other way. It's like looking at Jesus on the cross and instead of responding in worship for what he's done for you, it's like saying, you are not worth my worship, Jesus. We must do a heart check regularly. So that's the first thing. Do a heart check. Number two, I want you to praise God. Learn to praise Him at home. Praise Him at church. Praise Him with your family. Praise Him by yourself. Offer songs and praise to God. God loves your voice and He wants to hear it. So bless Him with it. If you have Spotify or if you have uh, Apple Music, whatever your platform is, whatever, whatever platform you've got, make a worship playlist. And, you know, we've got our devices nowadays. We can listen to it in the car. We can listen to it 
anywhere, but make praising Him a regular part of your day. Get caught jamming out to some worship music. It's, it's fun. <laughs> and while you sing and while you pray and while you talk to God throughout your day, consider your posture. Is it reflecting your heart? And then join together and praise God here with your church family. This is the family of God in church. I want to say come and ready to worship here because worshiping here where it is safe sets you up to worship God out there where it is risky and scary and there is fear involved. You can worship God here without fear, without any, without any fear of judgment. This is a safe place to come and worship God. I love that we're doing an acoustic set because I can just hear us all singing, and it's beautiful. But worshiping in here sets you up to worship out there. Last but not least, ask yourself, how can you practice your praise? Worship is not just praise, it is service. It is a lifestyle of serving, of putting yourself aside for the sake of God. So how can you sacrifice yourself for others like Jesus did on the cross? Because remember, Jesus literally gave all of himself. So how can you give yourself to those around you? Ask yourself, who in my life is in need? Who do I know immediately at my workplace, in my family, on my street? Who is in need? How can I meet that need? Ask, how can I share what God has given me? How can I bless others with the money, the possessions, the time that I have? Who in my life needs to hear about Jesus and his sacrifice? Consider those questions. In the back of the student ministry room here at Fellowship, there's a piece of art. It was made by one of my predecessors, and I love it. It's a sound wave. You know, if you look at like a frequency of a, like someone talking through a mic, it, it kind of looks like a, this kind of thing. But this piece of art, it's a sound wave, and it's on the back of the wall, and it's the sound wave for Psalm 34.1, which says, his praise will always be on my lips. That is our calling, church, for God's praise to always be on our lips. Not that we're singing all the time, Lord help our throats, if that was the case, but that in every minute of every day, in every aspect of life, we are seeking to set ourselves aside for the sake of God. Jars of Clay was a band I liked for a while when I was in high school, and they had a song that said, they will know we are Christians by our love. You've probably heard that phrase. I say they will know we are Christians by our worship, by how we worship in here and by how we worship out there. So let us pray that our worship, both inside and outside the walls of this church, will be contagious to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the gospel that you have saved us, that you have blessed us in so many ways. You have given us everything we needed and more. You have made us sons and daughters. You have made us heirs of the kingdom. While we were sinners, you forgave us and loved us so that we would no longer be enslaved to, enslaved to sin and death anymore. God, you are so good. You are worthy of our worship. 
So Lord, I pray that as we sing now and as we go out from this place this week and as we live our lives, that it will all be a lifestyle of worship. That we will give our voices, that we will give our energy, our time, our resources for your kingdom. For you have been so good to us. Father, we worship you now in song and we leave from this place to worship you with our life. Amen.